there, Internet. Welcome to Preparing Our Hearts for Worship podcast. This is Linda, and we're so glad you're here with us. And this is Glenn. Indeed, we love it when you stop by the studio for a visit to hear the songs of old and the stories about their authors that led to the writing of those old songs. The history of these songs is often quite interesting, and many times they are inspired by life events that are life-changing. When grounded with the Word of God, it lends itself towards spiritual growth. Such was the case when D.L. Moody told the story of the shipwreck one treacherous stormy night on Lake Erie when 200 lives were lost because the warning lights on the rocks went out. The story inspired Philip Bliss to write this song. Philip saw the an- analogy of the lights to our responsibility to share the gospel to avoid a treacherous eternity. Brightly beams our Father's mercy from the lighthouse evermore. But to us, he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. Let the lower lights be burning. Send a gleam across the wave. Some poor, fainting, struggling seaman you may rescue, you may save. Dark the night of sin has settled. Laud the angry billows roar. Eager eyes are watching, longing for the lights along the shore. Trim your feeble lamp, my brother, some poor seaman tempest-tossed, trying now to make the harbor in the darkness may be lost. Philip Bliss was a Pennsylvania farm boy who wrote some of the earliest gospel songs to gain wide popularity in both Britain and America. He had little formal training and little education, yet in the span of 12 years between 1846 and 1876, a devoted heart and a natural sensitivity to common people inspired hold the fort, almost persuaded, let the lower rites be burning, hallelujah, what a savior, and the music to It Is Well With My Soul, among many others. Philip was born in Clearfield County, Pennsylvania in 1838. Growing up mostly around Rome, In western Pennsylvania, the Bliss family was rich in heart, but poor. A struggling, transient childhood allowed Philip Bliss few educational opportunities. His father taught him songs at an early age, and he loved to sing aloud. As a young boy, Philip whistled and sang those same tunes, and occasionally played them on crude musical instruments. He did not hear a piano until he was ten. At age 11, he left home to ease the burden on the family, earning his own living on farms and logging camps and fitting in whatever schooling he might uh, that might be possible along the way. His sister told the touching uh, scene that one day he left home, this sweetly sensitive boy, carrying all his clothes wrapped in a handkerchief, and tossing his sister two pennies over his shoulder as he made his way down the lane, not allowing himself to look back in a final farewell. From age 11 to 16, his independent existence was disciplined by work, 
that yielded as much as $9 per month with board. He was converted at a revival meeting at age 12. A short time later, in a creek near his home, he was baptized by a minister of the Christian church. In reflection later in life, Bliss said his conversion was undramatic because he could not remember a time when he did not love the Savior, feel remorse for his sins, and pray. Despite little schooling, in 1856 at age 18, in what can be seen in retrospect as a tribute to his character and seriousness of purpose, he was hired to teach school in Harvestville, New York. He attended his first music convention in Rome, Pennsylvania, and that, in, that intensified his passion for music. In the winter of 1858, he found Bliss teaching school in Almond, New York, and living with the family of a school board member. On June 1, 1859, Bliss married the daughter of the school board member, Lucy Young, and they remained in the household. Philip, as a farmhand, was paid $13 per month, standard farmhand wages during this time. Bliss marked that period as extremely, extremely important in his life. That winter, he began teaching music, allowing him to learn how little music he knew and how passionately he wanted to know more. He was frustrated and then discouraged and almost depressed at the immense longing for a musical education. But without money, even to attend a normal Academy of movie, mu Music in Ganesso, New York, one of the most extensive travel music schools so common in that day, and the great event among music lovers of the area. He later told the story that one day when only his mother-in-law, his grandmother-in-law, was in the house, he threw himself on an old couch, and not having the $30 the music academy required, he cried for disappointment. I thought everything had come to an end, that my life must be passed as a farmhand and country schoolmaster, and all bright hopes for the future must be given up. For many years, Grandma Allen told him she had been dropping coins into an old sock. Upon counting the coins, she found more than the $30 required, and thus really helped Philip pay for his six-week course. It was a life-changing time for the young musician, allowing him to meet music leaders of the area, to answer questions he had often thought to himself, and to have volumes of music revealed. After the course, his father-in-law bought him a $20 accordion, and he noted in his diary, with the accordion and old Fanny his horse, he was in business as a professional music teacher. Income from his music teacher teaching increased his standard of living and allowed him freedom to attend the traveling school again in 1861 and in 1863. Bliss was chosen the most intellectual pupil by his teacher at the first school he attended, and thereafter was given the attention reserved for prize pupils, including private voice lessons. While living in Rome, doing farm work and teaching music, 
He wrote Laura Vale, a sad, sentimental tune about the dying of a young girl, with the chorus, Laura, Laura, still we love thee, though we see thy form no more, and we know thou come to meet us when we reach the mystic shore. It happened that James McGranahan composed There Shall Be Showers of Blessing, I know whom I may believe it, and I was sang of my Redeemer, himself a songwriter and musical friend of Bliss, was the summer was that summer clerk in a county store at and post office in Rome. He reviewed the proofs of Bliss first composition and offered suggestions. Published in eighteen sixty four a sheet music, a song was popular and sold several thousand copies. In 1863 or 1864, Bliss met George Root, who did Jesus Loves the Little Children, who with his brother, W.F. Root, had the firm of Root and Caddy of Chicago that published Bliss's first song, operated a retail music store, and conducted music schools throughout the Midwest. His first song was published in 1864 and in 1868. Dwight L. Moody advised him to become a singing evangelist. For the, le the last two years of his life, Bliss traveled with Major D.W. Whittle and led the music at revival meetings in Midwest and Southern United States. Let the Lower Lights Be Burning song begins with Brightly Beams Our Father's Mercy from His Lighthouse Evermore, but to us He gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. The strong light talked about in the first verse from high on the lighthouse represents the Father's mercy and life-giving light. The, thus, this, this guiding light cuts through the darkness of the night on the coast, even in times of decreased moonlight or on raging storm nights. Its presence alerts the incoming naval vessels of their location and the path that may lead them to safety. Our Savior Jesus Christ and His Gospel are likewise the light that we seek in our lives, especially when surrounded by darkness or when our way is uncertain. It's the gospel that brings us up to the straight and narrow way and leads us to eternal life. There's a safety in knowing and moving on this certain path. Let the lower lights be burning, send a gleam across the way. Some poor, fainting, struggling seaman you may rescue, you may save. In this image, we are those that serve by controlling the lower lights to guide our Heavenly Father's children to safety. As with our help, they focus on Jesus Christ first. The hymn describes a scene in the lower lights which is aligned with the lighthouse beam showing the way to a safe arrival on the beach or pier. The Savior requires us on the highlight, our lower light, to help him. 
the light assisting the lost seaman in moral eternal peril. Dark the night of sin has settled, loud the angry billows roar. Eager eyes are watching, longing for the lights along the shore. As we teach the gospel of Jesus Christ to all, we to all that will receive us, we begin. We bring light to those in worldly darkness. We know what it is. It feels like in sin, as we we are learning to truly live the gospel of Jesus Christ. And once we are worthy and able, we can teach the gospel to others and come to the rescue from sin, guided by the Holy Ghost and keeping our covenants with Jesus Christ. We walk back to the Heavenly Father and our Savior Jesus Christ together with those we serve. Trim your feeble lamp, my brother, some poor sailor, tempest-tossed, trying now to make the harbor in the darkness may be lost. Trimming our feeble lamps may be to prepare to serve and act according to God's plan for our salvation and exaltation, which is the gospel, which is the gospel of Jesus Christ. We read in the scripture and the words of the living prophets, pray, ponder, repent, serve, and continue to seek guidance to find who else needs our support. We strive to be good instruments in the hands of our Savior, Jesus Christ. He is the light and requires us to keep the associated lower lights burning. All along America's east and west seaboards, the Gulf Shore, and along the Great Lakes region, lighthouses stood on the shore of major harbors. Along with lighthouses, there were also lower lights, to guide ships into the harbor. This is a story that has been told about a particular lighthouse. It was growing dark, and the waves on the vast Lake Erie, almost a little ocean itself, hissed and curled against the base of the inner lights of Cleveland, near Cleveland, Ohio. The lighthouse keeper's job was to keep the great lighthouse inside the harbor lit and to tend to the light and line of smaller lanterns to guide ships into the channel toward the harbor. The inner harbor had been created as a haven where ships could flee when the sudden dangerous Lake Erie storms arose. Despite this, the great lighthouse beacon, a ship would be dashed to pieces on the rock without the little lights to lead them through the narrow rock line passage. You can imagine what it would be like to go out into the gathering blackness and painstakingly trudge from light to light, filling the light, filling and lighting each lantern. It was a thankless task. The lighthouse keeper could have been on this job for several years and rarely had any ship needed to find the harbor at night. There could have been many reasons why the lights were not lit, but whatever the reason, the lights were not lit that night. As the night went on, a violent storm crashed upon Lake Erie, 
that could toss great ships as if they were toys and smash them against the shorelines with terrifying, deadly menace. Nearby stood an old pilot, also straining his eyes into the darkness. Underneath, the ship heaved and creaked, and the wooden decks were slippery with water. The captain squinted into the darkness. Are you sure this is Cleveland? He asked the pilot. Quite sure, sir, replied the pilot, his hands clamped upon the wheel. But where are the lower lights? They're out, sir. Can you make it? We must, sir, or we'll perish. There was nothing else they could do. Desperately, the old pilot tried to find his way into the channel without the lights that should have been there. But the underlying sea broke and pulverized the ship against the rock shoreline. Many lives were lost like that night, all because one, one man did not do his job. But it was only when he heard D.L. Moody use it in a sermon that it struck Philip Bliss to the heart. Moody ended his stirring sermon with, Brethren, the Master will take care of the great lighthouse. Let us keep the lower lights burning. Drafted into the army in 1865, Bliss was discharged two weeks later when it became clear that the Civil War was ending. A gospel quartet, the Yankee Boys, of which Bliss was a member, received an offer from Root and Caddy to come west to Chicago and hold concert on a salary basis. The Yankee Boys did not succeed, but the Ruth, Ruth, Ruth brothers retained Bliss and, uh, and uh, for the next four years with Root and Caddy and then on his own, his occupation was the holding of music conventions, concerts, and giving music lessons throughout the Northwest. Periodically, he helped write and assemble songs for Root and Caddy song productions. Another pivotal point, uh, another pivotal year in Bliss' life came in 1869 when he met D.L. Moody. The evangelist was holding meetings in Woods Museum Theater, Clark and Randolph Street in Chicago. Moody would go out and preach in the open air on the steps of the nearby courthouse for about 30 minutes, and then he'd urge the crowd to go to his meetings. Bliss and his wife, having heard of Moody, but never having heard him, out for a stroll before Sunday evening service, happened onto the outdoor preaching. When Moody appeared, appealed to all to come inside, they followed. The music director was absent that evening, and the singing was weak. From his place in the congregation, Bliss's voice, strong and confident, attracted Moody's eye. When the service was over and Moody greeted folks at the door, Bliss wrote later, as I came to him, he had my name and history in about two minutes, and a promise that when I was in Chicago Sunday evenings, I would come and help in the singing at the theater meetings. Almost as, a, as an experiment or trial, in March 1874, Bliss accompanied Whittle to Wahegan, Illinois, for a series of three meetings 
with the Congregational Church. Whittle was at Wells Fargo cash, cashier when he enlisted when he was enlisted in the Union Army and was wounded at Vicksburg in 1863 and while recovering in Chicago from the Vicksburg wound he met and developed a friendship with Moody. Moody had been working on Whittle also to consider ending his high-income career as a business executive and to give himself full time to preaching and evangelism. In the Waukegan venture, both Bliss and Whittle wanted to see if their efforts would be fruitful and if they could detect a sense of calling to full-time evangelistic work. Wednesday afternoon, March 25th, an informal prayer gathering of leaders in the study turned out to be Bliss's consecration service as he yielded to the idea that his life's work should be full-time in the Lord's service. Whittle and Bliss returned to Chicago. Bliss to resign his work and find someone to take over for his conventions, and Whittle to resign his position as treasurer of Elgin Watch Company. The two, in close friendship, association with Moody, worked together until Bliss's death. The young musician and entrepreneur left behind a career with promise and generous income and rising reputation that would earn as much as $100 for a four-day convention engagement. And his gospel hymns and sacred songs issued in 1875 in collaboration with Iris Sankey almost immediately produced royalties of $60,000, yet they accepted not a cent. Whittle, who himself later wrote the words to such great gospel songs as Showers of Blessing and I Know in Whom I Have Believed, said Bliss never looked back. The Blisses together provided music for the meetings with Whittle through the latter half of 1874 to 1875. In their last year, 1876, they spent a week with Moody at Northfield, Massachusetts, where the evangelists utilized their talents in a whirlwind of 11 meetings, then had talked of the blisses going, they had talked of the blisses going to Britain with Moody and Sankey, where Bliss, Bliss's Jesus Loves Me, had, had been instantly popular, and more than any other hymn, it became the keynote of our meetings there, as Shanky wrote a letter. The Blisses returned to be with family for the holidays in Rome, agreeing to meet Whittle in Chicago on December the 31st and to sing at Moody's Tabernacle. In the old hometown, they spent the happiest Christmas he had ever known, he said, with his mother, sister, and in-laws, and leaving their children in the care of Mrs. Bliss's sister. The Blisses checked their luggage through to Chicago and boarded the train at Waverly, New York. When an engine broke down, they spent the night in a hotel, then continued their train journey in a blinding snowstorm. As the train puffed its way through the snowy silence, just after seven, the evening of December the 29th, 1876, 
Bliss was observed in the parlor car with work spread out on his lap. He had a few weeks earlier written verses entitled, I Passed the Cross of Calvary, and over the holiday had come up with a fitting tune that he sang to family and intended to work on it aboard the train. He placed it in his briefcase to work on later. It may have been the very piece that occupied him on the train as it plowed through the snow. Crossing a trestle about 100 yards from the station at Ashtabula, Ohio, passengers heard a terrible cracking sound. In just seconds, the trestle broke in two, and the train plunged 70 feet into a watery gulf. The wooden cars caught by flames, fed by kerosene heating stoves. The lead engine made it across an, a second engine. Two express cars and part of the baggage cars rested with their weight upon the bridge, and 87 souls fell into eternity in 11 rail cars raging fire. Of 159 passengers, 92 were killed or died later from their injuries sustained in the crash, and 69 others were injured. It was the worst railroad tragedy at that point in American history. Not a trace of Philip or Lucy Bliss was ever found, not an artifact or possession. People of that time noted it was as though he was taken up in a chariot of fire. Bliss' trunk had been checked through Chicago, and in it, surviving its author, was the last song he wrote. Setting to music the words of Mary Bernard, now so especially touching. I know not what awaits me. God kindly veils my eyes. And o'er each step of my onward way, he makes new scenes to rise. And ever joy he sends becomes a sweet and gladly surprise. So on I go not knowing. I would not if I might. I'd rather walk in the dark with God than go alone in the light. I'd rather walk by faith with him and go along by sight. At the request of Mooney, the pennies of school children helped to erect a monument in Rome, Bliss's hometown. So well loved was the young couple that special memorial services were held in Chicago, in Rome, Pennsylvania, in South Bend, St. Paul, Louisville, Nashville, Kalamazoo, and Peoria. Twenty years later, at Ashtabula's Chestnut Grove Cemetery, a monument was erected to all those unidentified who perished in the railroad disaster. Among the names are P.P. Bliss and wife. I have been concerned of late with the realization that most of us don't share the plan of God or salvation with anyone. And I thought back to my early years at Christian Life, how I wrestled with this problem. I didn't realize it was a problem until I went to a soul-winning class where 
we were practicing with each other the process of witnessing. I found I didn't know what to say, and I struggled finding the scriptures to make my point. We used then a Soul Winner's New Testament Bible. At the bottom of those pages was the page number of the next scripture, and then from that scripture to the next scripture, and so on, and such and such. And the scripture that points that, that, that it pointed to was underlined for the reading. So I could concentrate on what I want to just say about each scripture, not worrying about hunting the scripture or finding the right place to read. It made the process simple, and simple is what I do best. Over the years with experience, my methods have changed, but I share with this with you because I wanted you to know it's a common problem we all have, and there's no other way to get past the fear of doing it other than just doing it in some way. Let me say, there can be no greater joy than to lead someone to Christ. There is no greater calling than to change a person's eternity for from everlasting torment to eternal joy. Getting started is the hardest part. I have been in normal conversations with, with a person, and they say have some, they have some problem that they're having. I turn to the conversation to, where do you go to church? And I remember that's all it took in one case when this lady just began to weak. That's all it took. So many times I've been in places like that, and it happened once again, and it was easy to get things going after that. People are hungry for the solution to life's problems, and we have the keys and the answers. Another thing that can cause us a problem with our witness is some have sin in their lives. They need to turn that over to the Lord and let him help them with this. They can't be much of a help until they have gone first till they have first got things straight with the Lord. When we yield to a temptation, as we all will do at some time or another, we need to confess that it's sin to the Lord and ask for forgiveness and his strength not to do it over and over. God will help you with this. God lists us all with the commandment to go into the world, and that's wherever you are and share the gospel. This is not a suggestion, it was a commandment. Our life as a Christian cannot be complete until we're doing this. Living a good life as a good example is not enough. Plenty of lost people fill the bill here. When Christians must take the Christ as Christians, we must take this plan of salvation to the people that have not heard it. Did you know that there are untold thousands in the United States that have never heard the plan of salvation? Many have heard about it, but never have had it explained to them. Most think Christianity is all about being good enough to be a Christian. They are surprised to know Jesus loved us so much. He died for us while we were yet sinners. Or they think they are really not that bad enough to go to hell. Sharing the love of Christ along with the justice of God 
is something all new to them. First of all, people need to know they're lost. They need to understand that just one little sin is all it takes to be lost. They need to be made aware that we all have sinned and fell short of the glory of God. They need to know the consequence of our sin is eternal death and the lake of fire forever and ever. They need to know that God said this in the Bible. People who choose to not believe this is the very essence of their lostness. When people realize they are lost and eternally damned, it is then when they're ready to hear how much God loves them. Because when a person realizes that he or she is responsible for their own eternal damnation, and there is nothing he or she can do about it, and in spite of this, God loved them so much, he sent Jesus as a substitute to suffer their punishment so they would not have to suffer this eternal damnation. Jesus paid their sin debt. He paid it all. Now their hearts are ready for the change that what we call repentance. There must be a major change of heart. It comes about as a result of, of conviction of sin in the hearts of men by God. The Bible says, without repentance, there is no remission of sin. We believe we have a life-changing belief. We are ready to trust Jesus and in him alone, just as we would with a parachute out of a plane. We put on Jesus as if he were our eternal assurance because we know he is. Let me tell you, my friends, people desperately want to hear this good news. The devil will do everything he can to hinder you doing it because this defeats him forever where the person is concerned. They need encouragement to find a church for worship and fellowship. Now, we encourage our people that we encounter to come to Broadway Baptist Church. That's where we are members. And you should help people find a local church wherever you live. Now, let's hear Forgiven Do Let the Lower Lights Be Burning. <laughs> mercy from his light house evermore but to us he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore let the lower lights be burning send a gleam across the way some poor fang struggling seaman you may rescue you may Thank you. 
poor seaman tempted tossed trying now to make the harbor in the darkness may be lost let the lower lights be burning send a gleam across the way some poor fainting struggling seaman you may rescue you Thank you so much for listening to our podcast today. We trust it was a blessing for you. It makes our day when we hear someone was blessed of our podcast or our music. We'd love to get an email from you. Yes. Send it to Glenn, that's G-L-E-N-N dot Dawson at Glenn, G-L-E-N-N Dawson, E-A dot com. And you can get all our information at our website www.glendawsonea.com That's www.glendawsonea stands for Evangelist Association Help you remember And in addition to our email you can find information about our Facebook page and Twitter information You can also find links to an index of all our podcasts and a link to all our music on YouTube we hope so much you'll send your friends and family over our website. There's a link over there now that you just click on and it takes you over where you can sign up. And by signing up, you'll get our newsletter. And if if you sign up, we'll enter you into a lot, kind of a, uh, where we draw the name and, uh, and, and you can win a CD or our songs on a USB drive, whichever you would like. And we'll send you every song we, we have listed on the internet. We hope you will enjoy those. And remember now, we, we love, love you all. God, God be, be with, with you. you. Bye, bye for, for now. now.